0: All right, let's dive into the message this week. We're in week five of our wisdom series, and today's message talks about the beginning of wisdom. Come on, friends. Let's give a huge welcome to Pastor Megan. Good morning. It's good to see you guys all this morning. So... As Luke was just saying, we've been in this wisdom series now. This will be week five, and I get the pleasure of ending the the series. So if you remember right, if you've been here for all of them, then this will be just an overview for you. If you missed some of them, I'm just going to give you a heads up on what those are, and you can go back and listen to them. But week one, we had Nick here, and he spoke on Wisdom and defining wisdom, and from King Solomon's perspective. And then on week two, Tom spoke about minimizing regrets. Week three, Pastor Lisa spoke about how to make wise decisions or good decisions. And then week four, which was last week, Tom spoke about guarding your heart and fixing your eyes on Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about the beginning of wisdom. Because wisdom is a journey of realizing that we actually really don't know much at all. Has anybody else found that to be true? I know I certainly have. You know, recently was my birthday. Um, We're just gonna say it was my 25th birthday. We'll just go with that. But, so when my dad asked me, he said, what have you learned in this many years, 25 years of your life, that I said, it's interesting because I found, I'm sure many of you guys can, um, you guys would say this as well, but in my early 20s, I knew everything. I knew everything. I was so smart and so knowledgeable. Um, in fact, I've, I've actually lost knowledge as I've gotten older, right? Because when we don't have much life experience, we think we know everything. But as we get older, we learn that with life experience, we actually don't know much at all. So I've learned that over the years that I don't know as much as I thought I did. And being comfortable with not knowing much. See, typically we rely on our own understanding to make sense of the world instead of finding wisdom in God. Typically we rely on our own understanding to make sense of the world instead of finding wisdom in God. Right? We want the world to make sense through our own eyes. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. In Proverbs three seven, it says, "Do not be wise in your own eyes; fear the Lord and shun evil." And then it says in Isaiah five twenty one, "Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight." This is just a couple of scriptures, but it actually talks a lot about this in the Bible. It said many times, "Wisdom is not found in ourselves, and trying to find it within ourselves always leads to problems when we rely on what we know." It'll always lead to problems. See, there is three books in the Bible that we're going to kind of talk about today. We're going to hang out on one of them a little bit longer. But these books are, are called the Wisdom Literature. And this is what they have to say about fearing God and Wisdom. The first one's from Psalm, which isn't considered wisdom literature, but it says the same thing as the Proverbs verse. So we're going to go ahead and read that one as well. In Psalm 111.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And then it goes on in Proverbs 9.10 to say pretty much the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. And then in Job 28, 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. All of these verses point to the fear of God being wisdom. If this is seen within every wisdom book in the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, that's a strong indicator that we should pay attention to it. Don't you think? See, the journey of wisdom begins with fearing God. So let's go ahead and define fearing God and wisdom. If you are part of the church email or you were on social media this week, you would have seen a video that I put up and some links to the Bible Project. And it's a great resource if you've ever had a chance to check it out. If you haven't, I suggest you do. They have lots of great stuff on there, and you can find it on YouTube. But this is what the Bible Project has to say about fear of the Lord, that it's a healthy respect of God's definition of good and evil. It says wisdom is learning the boundary lines and not crossing them. Then Strong's Dictionary says fear of God is respect, reverence, and piety. Wisdom is cautious and skilled. An encyclopedia of the Bible says fear of God is awe and respect. When we have this fear of God, it produces wisdom. Fear of God is to respect, to have reverence, to have this healthy respect and awe of God. See, wisdom, it's an attribute of God. It's actually part of who he is. It is a characteristic of God and who God is. We understand that God is already all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. Those are all common things that we know to be true about God. But he is also all wisdom. So if you need wisdom, who better to go to than God? The fear of the Lord is both the beginning and our constant companion on the journey of wisdom. We need the fear of God in the beginning of our journey just as much as we need the fear of God throughout our journey. It isn't a one-time thing, and it's something that grows over the course of a journey. So we're going to look a little bit more into the wisdom literature It contains three books of the Old Testament. It's like I said earlier, but it's a a progression of understanding wisdom. So Proverbs is kind of like teaching a child the basics of right and wrong. Ecclesiastes is another step above that. It's like teaching a teenager that sometimes life is just flat out unfair, but we still always choose the right thing regardless of the outcome. Job is another step above that. It's like teaching a young adult that life throws you some really tough seasons, yet God is still in control and worth trusting. All of these different approaches to wisdom demonstrate how the beginning of wisdom is truly to fear God. In Proverbs, it's specific advice. Right? We all love Proverbs because we can go to Proverbs and Proverbs tells us is exactly what is right and what exactly is wrong. Right, We know how to make good choices because we can look at Proverbs. When making good choices, we learn that we're tapping into wisdom from Proverbs. We also learn that wisdom has a cause and effect. Good equals good things, bad equals bad things. And we find this thread of the fear of God throughout Proverbs. And we see this in the other two books as well. In Ecclesiastes, it's a little bit more complex. It can come across somewhat as depressing, right? If you've ever read Ecclesiastes, it can kind of sound depressing. But we learn from Ecclesiastes that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes people who do bad things get rewarded with good things right? So sometimes when people do bad things, they get good things, and sometimes you do good things and you get bad things. We can only control, though, our attitudes and the choices that we make. That's what we learn. We have no control over outcomes, but we have control of our attitudes and the choices we make. And we should still fear God and live by his commandments. And we should choose to find joy in both the good and the bad, because both can be a gift from God, That's what we learned from Ecclesiastes and then we go into Job and Job is where we're going to be spending most of our time today Job takes us on a journey of what fearing God looks like in Job's search for wisdom in life's most challenging circumstances it starts off with God being questioned as to whether people only fear him because they have seen the rewards of fearing him that People continue to obey him because they get good in return. So God offers Job as a test because Job is known for fearing God. He's righteous and he's full of integrity. So God offers Job up for this test and Job loses everything, his animals, his farmhands, his shepherds, his wealth, his standing in the community and worse, his children. He is inflicted with boils, And is in excruciating pain. And then Job begins this poetic dialogue with three unhelpful friends. And throughout this dialogue, Job defends himself as having done nothing wrong, and at times he trusts God, other times accusing God of being unjust, and sometimes questions God's goodness. And then we see Job's friends, they oversimplify God's justice, his, their, his wisdom. They feel the pressure to defend God's goodness all based on their own understanding, which is bad things equal sin. And in the last few chapters, we see God addresses Job and shows Job how small he actually is in comparison to the rest of the universe. And it, God then addresses Job's friends and he corrects them. And Job responds with humility. And then God blesses him beyond what he had before. So there's a few things that we can learn as we go through the book of Job. The first thing is the fear of the Lord teaches us that unfair circumstances are not a guilty verdict. Unfair circumstances are not a guilty verdict. It doesn't mean that we've done something wrong When we see things in our life that are difficult and go through difficult seasons. See, this is what actually happens right before disaster hits Job's life. In Job 1, 8 through 11, this is what it says. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, But Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. An interesting thing about this is, is before this verse, it talks about Job. And it talks about him fearing God. But what's interesting is it says that he would get up every single day and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of each one of his children just in case they had sinned. That he feared God so much that he did not want to be found with blame. He did not want his children to be found with blame. So then we see Job lose everything. He loses his land. He loses his family. He loses his animals, everything. His standing in the community. But this is how Job responds. In Job 1 it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. See, Job blames God. He he places God as responsible for what has happened to him. But he still continues to praise God. He's mourning. He's grieving loss. But he still continues to praise God. And then it goes on in chapter 2 to talk about Satan again comes to God and he says, Well, you told me not to touch Job physically. Of course he's still following you, but what would happen if we inflicted him? And God says, okay, go ahead. And so then we see Job picking up shards of pottery, scraping his skin because he's in so much pain with boils or some sort of skin infliction, right? But this is... What happens in Job 2 9 through 10? It says, His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So, in all this, Job said nothing wrong. His wife was not very helpful. She's basically saying, Hey, turn your back on God and die. So, what has God done for you? Right? But the way that he replies is, should we accept only good things from the hands of God and never anything bad? That, like, really takes some incredible fear of God just to say, okay, God, should I only serve you when things are good? Or should I also serve you when things are bad? And even in this, it says Job did nothing wrong. But it would be really Nice if the book of Job just showed that Job was always optimistic and full of unwavering faith. But that's not what actually we see. We see doubts and questions and wrestling with his faith in God. In fact, Job goes on to question why this is happening to him and what the point is of him ever being born. In chapter 3, he curses the day he was born. He's asking the questions of what is the purpose of my life? Why would you give me all this just only to take it away? He never turns away from God, but he does question him. He still fears God enough to not turn his back on him, but he does, however, go on to accuse God of not being just, not capable of being able to run the universe. But yet we see Job persevered. Job 6.10, it says, "'At least I can take comfort in this, despite the pain.'" I have not denied the words of the Holy One, that despite all of this, he's still looking to God for answers. So many of you might actually, you probably already know, you know Pastor Mike and Anches, and one of the things that I find remarkable about them is they're just a wonderful couple, and they're just wonderful people in our church. And, um, You know, you might already know this, but they had two house fires. Not one, two house fires. What are the chances of that? Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, I've only known maybe, this is probably the third person I've known to have a house fire. Um, In fact, when I looked up statistics, it says one in 3,000 people have a house fire. I couldn't find any statistics on how many people have a second one. That's just unheard of that you would have a second house fire. But, of course, we would never look to Pastor Mike and Anne and say, you had house fires because of something you did. Right? It's an unfortunate circumstance. And we may never know exactly why they went through two house fires. But they did. See, believing the lie that a terrible circumstance is simply a guilty verdict about our conduct, it keeps us stuck in shame instead of keeping our head up while fighting through. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes we face circumstances that are not reflective of the way that we live. That is just part of this journey of fearing God and trusting him and believing that he is wise. So the fear of the Lord teaches us One, unfair circumstances are not a guilty verdict. The second thing it teaches us is unhelpful voices don't help. See, Job's friends try to find a reason for why God would allow this to happen to Job. They apply black and white logic and thinking to explain God's decision making. See, I think sometimes we do this, right? Because we watch other people go through challenging things and difficult things, and it makes us uncomfortable. It makes it uncomfortable for us to see other people question and ask God those questions. We feel the need to give them answers. So we oversimplify in order to make ourselves feel better. And this is Job's friends. Job's friends rely on their own knowledge. They simplify the way God delivers justice. See, knowledge and wisdom, they're not the same thing. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Knowledge is reliant on what we know in our heads. Wisdom requires trust despite what we, already, what we know. And it requires experience. Here are some of the unhelpful things that Job's friends said to him. This is not all of them. We would not have time to go through all of them, but these are some of my um, favorites or maybe least favorites, and we can all probably relate to some of these things that have been said to us. In Job 5.17, it says, but consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. In other words, Job, you're facing this because you sinned. Job 8.4, your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well deserved. Job, it's your fault, it's your kid's fault that they died. That's a horrible thing, right? Job 11.6, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. So Job, you've lost everything. You are in incredible pain, but you still deserve more. Job 18:21. They will say, this was the home of a wicked person, the place of one who rejected God. So now he's accused of being wicked and someone who rejects God. Job 22, 4 through 9. Is it because you're so pious that he accuses you and brings judgment against you? No, it's because of your wickedness. There's no limit to your sins. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged has a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty handed and crushed the hope of orphans. In other words, you've sinned. Clearly you've sinned. I can't come up with any sins that you did, but there has to be something that you did. But we already know this from earlier. That in the beginning of Job, in Job 1, it says, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. That there is nothing that Job has done to deserve this, and yet his friends are accusing him of doing something to deserve what he has experienced. But we see at the end of Job, in Job 42, God responds To these friends. It says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. See, after so many chapters of his friends criticizing him and saying he's gotten what he deserves, it's interesting to me that God says to them that they will not get what they deserve. They've been telling Job this whole time that he's getting what he deserves. And yet God still, still deals with them with grace. And says, I will accept sacrifice on behalf of you from Job. And a prayer. That even in this, God's teaching the friends too. See, Job's friends had all this knowledge in their head. But they weren't using it as they should. They weren't applying it appropriately. On dictionary.com, I found this. I thought it was perfect. It says, wisdom is also about knowing when and how to use your knowledge. Being able to put situations in perspective and how to impart it to others. For example, you may be very knowledgeable about how to raise a baby after reading countless books, attending classes, and talking to wise friends and family members. When that precious little person comes home, however, most new parents would kill for an ounce of wisdom to help soothe their screaming baby and their fears right? How many times do we find ourselves in that spot where we think we know something because we've read about it or because we have um, seen somebody else experience it or maybe even we have experienced it but our experience is not somebody else's experience. In fact, I remember a time that myself and Tom did this. Um, We had just had Elijah. I think he was a few months old and before he was born, you know, as one of those overzealous parents. And somebody said to me, you have to read this book on sleep training. And it high, came highly recommended. It was highly rated. And I read this book. And that's what we did for Elijah. And Elijah was sleep trained within like one week. It was amazing. And he slept through the night and he was still very little. And it was incredible. However, we had some friends who had had a little girl who was about three months older than Elijah. And um, they were having a very, very difficult time sleep training their daughter. So I said, oh, I've got the answer for you. This book is amazing. In fact, I think I might have used the words magic when I handed it to them. I said, this is guaranteed to solve your problems. Just watch. Elijah's sleeping through the night. It only took a couple of nights, and he's doing great. And so I handed this book over to them. The next time I saw them with bags under their eyes. I said, how's it going? And they said, well, she stayed up for three hours crying nonstop. And then because she cried so much, she threw up everywhere. And so in that moment, I realized that maybe this book wasn't for them. That maybe what had worked for me wasn't actually going to work for them. And then we went on to have two more kids, and it didn't work for either of them. So, um, again, like I said, as you go further into the journey, right, you realize you really know nothing, right? Just as soon as you think you know something, you realize you actually really don't. You're back at square zero. So, in that, you know, it's just, I think that this is how we all are, right? When we find something, sometimes it works. We're so excited to share it with someone or so excited to give someone the answer, um, that we don't realize that maybe the same answer that was for us isn't the same answer for them. Wisdom, though, it will help you to have a helpful voice and help you to determine who the helpful voices are in your own life. Because we don't have to listen to unhelpful voices either, right? Sometimes we have unhelpful voices and they mean well, but we don't have to take them on. Sometimes people say things to us because they mean well, but they're not the truth. Which is why we always have to go back to God. And that's one of the things I love about Job. Is Job continuously says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't just take it on. He didn't just say, you're right, I must have done something wrong. Right? He's searching for the answers. He continues to fear God in search of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord teaches us one. Unfair circumstances are not a guilty verdict. The second thing, unhelpful voices don't help. The third thing it teaches us is trust is being comfortable, not understanding. And we see this in Job 28. See, Job knows the truth in his head. He knows it to be true, but God is still working on his heart and still working for him to experience that truth for himself. Right, We can know things sometimes but not really know them. And so this is what he says in Job 28. This is in the middle of everything. In fact, in a couple of chapters later, he is accusing God of doing a terrible job and not truly understanding justice because it doesn't make sense to him. But this is what he says in the middle of all that. Job 28, God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. For he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the wind should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. Then he saw wisdom and he evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. He says that, remember, we actually talked about that verse at the beginning. But he's saying that right before this, he's questioning God's goodness. He's defending himself. And then after this, he's saying, God, you're doing a terrible job at running the universe. Basically, I could do it better, Right? And this is God's reply after chapter of chapter and chapter of him having these conversations with his friends. God comes in and he delivers this uppercut. And yet it's done with so much love and grace. And in this, it goes on for chapters, actually. But we're not going to read all the chapters. So you can go back and you read from 3rd. Job 38 to 42, but we're going to just read a small piece of it. In Job 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Ouch. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates limiting its shores, I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop." That's just a piece of it. It's so good, right? That God is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. In fact, he goes on to talk about how he knows every single detail. He knows the inner workings of the universe. Job is just there for a blink of the eye, but God knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows every piece of the universe. He knows every single thing that is happening, and yet he cares about me. And yet he knows every detail about me. Isn't that incredible? And so Job goes on and he responds to God. And how else is he going to respond but this? Job 42, 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was thinking about the things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. My favorite part of that is verse 5 where it says, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. That Job knew this to be true when we saw that in chapter 28, but now he knows that it's true because there's a transformation that has taken place. He now knows that he can trust God. One moment with God, and his world is flipped upside down. His viewpoint is flipped upside down because that's what happens with wisdom. That's what happens with journey and experience. He now has seen it from a different angle. In fact, he now realizes he knows very, very little, right? He says, I know nothing. I know nothing. I love that Socrates quote that says, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. When we recognize that we know nothing, that's where wisdom is. When we default to God because we know He knows everything, but we know nothing, that's where we find wisdom. The fear of the Lord is both the beginning and our constant companion on the journey of wisdom. In Proverbs 9.10, we quoted the scripture earlier, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You cannot have wisdom without fearing God. A healthy fear of God is necessary just to get started. Job had this healthy fear of God before he even started on this journey. And I believe that's why he was able to withstand everything. And that's why he was able to come out the other side, going through the worst of the worst and still saying, God, you know everything and to put his trust in God, even though he's been through the worst things possible. See, fearing God is a healthy respect of the God of the universe. He's the God of the universe. He knows everything. He created us. He created everything. He knows its inner working. In the Jesus Bible, it says this about that verse empowered by the Spirit, Christians are transformed to fear God, and in doing so, find true wisdom. That while we're walking with God, the Spirit begins to transform us. And as, he, as the Spirit transforms us, we begin to fear God more. This just happens in our journey with God. And in that, that's how we find wisdom. If you want to find wisdom, it's more than just making a wise choice. It's about growing in God. It's being willing to take that uppercut sometimes from God. It's being willing to not always know the answers. That's how we find wisdom. Holy Spirit is great at this. Great at transforming us to fear God more. To, for us to want to do what's right and to be obedient. And we always find wisdom when we do this. So the three things that we just spoke about was the fear of the Lord teaches us, one, unfair circumstances are not a guilty verdict. Two, unhelpful voices don't help. Three, trust is being comfortable, not understanding. So my question for you is, where, where do you find yourself in all of those Are you in a season which has been radically unfair to you? A season that's challenging, a season where it's hard to see the good in it. A season that feels unfair and unreasonable. Maybe you are questioning God's wisdom and why God would allow this to happen to you. And maybe that challenge is just that, to have those conversations with God and to trust that God is going to lovingly speak to you and comfort you through it. Or maybe the second thing is, is maybe you're an unhelpful voice. I feel like this one might be a little ouchy, but are you an unhelpful voice feeling the need to defend God to ha- and to have all the answers? Maybe because you feel uncomfortable because you don't know the answers and you don't want to, um, when you're talking with people, you want to give them the right answer. You give them the right answer, but inside maybe even you're battling, how does this make sense? But being a good friend doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good friend if somebody is questioning God and you don't address it, right? Because we see that in Job, right? God addresses the friends, and he says, you have not spoken truthfully of me. We don't want to ever be a voice that doesn't speak truthfully to people. We can have the best intentions in the world and still say the wrong thing. But, or maybe you've allowed unhelpful voices in your life. Maybe you're realizing that you've taken on things that God never meant you to take on. Maybe people have said things to you that are just simply not true. And maybe it's time that you surround yourself with the right voices. Third thing is, is maybe you just have a hard time trusting God. Maybe you've been through a lot of stuff and it's hard to trust God that tomorrow isn't going to look like yesterday. And that he knows what he's doing. But what I'd say to you is God knows everything. He knows yesterday. He knows today. He knows tomorrow. He knows every single thing about you. He called you into existence. You are here because the almighty God said you should be here and he knows the number of hairs on your head. It says he knew you before he knit you in your mother's womb. He knows you, he knows everything about you. And don't you think that if he knows everything about you then he knows what season you are currently in. He knows what season you're going into and he is making a way. He is making a way for you and he is there alongside of you through every single thing. And I don't know about you, but I, I know that I can't trust myself, but I can trust the God of the universe who knows every single thing, who knows every season I've been through. He's been faithful to me yesterday, he's faithful to me today, and he will be faithful tomorrow, right? Even if we wake up and there is no more sun, we still know that God is the God of the universe. And we can put our trust in that. God is so good. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've never even started this journey. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you haven't started this journey that we're talking about. Maybe you have seen terrible things happen to yourself, to other people around you, and it has meant that you're not sure that you can trust God. That you aren't sure you want to know this God tell you something though, God already knows you. You may not know God, but God knows you. And He is desperate for you to know Him. He cares significantly about you. So today, I want everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads, if you are here today and you would say i don't know god but today i want to i want to give it a try i want to i want to know this god of the universe that you talk about i want to know my creator i want to know this god that already knows me who calls me by name who set things in motion who called me into existence. If that is you this morning, if you would put your hand up right now where everybody's eyes are closed, I'm gonna pray with you. I wanna pray for you. If you're online, you can go ahead and click that raised hand and somebody online wants to pray with you. Yes, I see you. Who else can I pray for? Yes, I see you. Yeah. Who else? Yep, I gotcha. People's lives are being changed today. Yep, I see you. Who else can I pray for today? Don't let this moment pass you by. Yep. All right. Yeah, I see you. We're going to go ahead and we're going to pray. Give you one more chance to raise your hand. And then we're going to go ahead and pray with you. Anybody else? see you all right we're gonna go ahead and pray guys can everybody give everyone an applause who just raised their hand this is amazing how good is God this is the best decision you'll ever make and I know that God is rejoicing right now So we're gonna go ahead and pray this prayer. It's gonna be up on the screen. I want everybody to repeat after me as we pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I wanna follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I wanna leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're online, make sure you click that button. If you raise your hand and someone wants to pray for you, if you're in person, we have the host coming back up, which is James today with some next steps. Thanks, James. Thanks, Pastor Megan. Was that good? Yeah, let's give let's give Pastor Megan another round of applause. That was such a great great message.